You all can be seated. You can open up your Bible. If you have a copy of the scriptures to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that's where we're going to be starting this morning. Would somebody be willing, by the way, to get a little Kleenex box for me? There's no Kleenexes here, and I'm guessing I'm going to need some. So somebody, Brother Fred, thank you. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, everybody will be thankful, especially the front row people, uh, if you do that. Um, but we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, this morning. And uh, many people have referred in English, at least. I don't know what they call this in other cultures and other languages. Many people have started over the, the years to refer to this chapter as the Hall of Faith. It's kind of a play on words with Hall of Fame. Thank you, appreciate it. Um, the Hall of, we know what Hall of Fames are. You've probably gone to some of them before. You at least know what they are. Baseball Hall of Fame, Basketball Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, we, we're familiar with those uh, where there's these uh, marked people who've done significant things, notable things, and we go there to learn about them or to remember them. Uh, that's in some ways, thus why people are calling this the Hall of faith, that's in some ways what this chapter is, where the author is going to, uh, for this entirety of chapter 11, uh, show us people of faith, show his initial readers and us by extension people who were marked by faith and significant faith that led to significant uh, obedience in their lives. But I was thinking of this, as you, if you were getting ready to go to any hall of fame in the world, the only way it's going to actually be pleasant or profitable to you at all is if you know something about the subject you're about to go in to and learn about, right? If you're going to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame and you have no clue what a baseball is or how the game is played, you're going to be bored to tears probably. If you go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and you don't even know what rock and roll has anything to do with music, you're probably going to be lost. You're not going to profit from it. And so anytime you're going to walk through a Hall of Fame, it's important to know a little bit, at least basics, about that subject, about that sport, about that industry. And so in today's text, if we want to think of this chapter as the hall of faith, these first three verses is all we're going to look at. And I, I think we can think of today's text almost like the author, whoever he was, is about to give us a tour the next few weeks through this hall of faith, through this hall of fame. But before he really brings us into it, it's like he's going to pause in the lobby uh, before we go in and start to learn about all these people. And he's going to at least make sure we know what in the world faith is. Uh, if we're going to learn about examples marked examples of faith, it would be wise for us to think, what is faith? What, what does that mean? What does that speak of? And I think we'll benefit from his little pre-tour speech because in our day and age, the word faith, if you pay attention to how people use the word faith, it means almost nothing. Like it has lost almost any sort of significance or substance to it. Uh, if you pay attention to how people speak of faith, they'll talk about someone being a, oh, he was a person of faith. Like, what does that mean? Or that's a faith-based organization or something like that. And a lot of times when we talk about faith, really all that people mean when they talk about faith in today's world is spirituality or religiosity. Like they, that person held to some sort of spiritual belief or some sort of religious belief. Or maybe we just think they were a positive person. Like we'll talk about almost like optimism or something like that. Uh, the word faith has lost significance and meaning in our culture. And I think this text will help us to recapture an, an understanding of what faith even means before we, the next several weeks, see examples of it and see those unfolded before us in this hall of faith. 
So if you've been with us at all as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, you've heard me or the other preachers say almost every single Sunday as we've gone through it, reminding you what this letter was and what it was about. Uh, What it was, was some author, we don't know who it was, was writing to early Jewish Christians, as best as we can tell, people who'd grown up Jewish, had heard about Jesus as the Messiah, put their faith in him, but now they're tempted to step back from that and just go back to law-keeping, to go back to Old Testament practices. And this letter is really just over and over again in different ways a call for them to press on in faith to persevere in faith and not go back not shrink back to a former way of relating to God and following him but to trust in Christ even when difficulty comes even when opposition comes to press on in faith. And if you were with us last Sunday, uh, the last several verses of chapter 10, uh, the last even few verses of chapter 10, we started to see that the word faith featured really prominently there. Uh, that he had quoted, if you look at verses 37 and 38, the author had quoted from Habakkuk chapter 2, where he had said, quoted this famous verse, and it's in verse 38 here, where God had said, My righteous one shall live by Faith, that that was a marker of what God's people would be like, that they live by faith. And then the author himself, after quoting that, had turned in verse 39 and said to these readers, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So you see the word faith appear really significantly there. This is what marks God's people is faith and the, the promises of God. And so it's no coincidence then that as he turns to chapter 11, he's just going to blow out this subject of faith. He's going to really expand on it a lot, give a bunch of examples of it, of what faith is and what faith looks like. And so I'm going to read uh, just the first three verses of chapter 11, and then we'll walk through and see what we can learn about faith in this kind of pre-tour speech uh, from this author of Hebrews. So follow along with me, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. These may be familiar verses to you, but I'd really encourage you to sit on them, let them stew in your heart and mind as I read. So the author, under the inspiration of the Spirit, continued writing this letter in this way. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of God. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. This author in this text, before giving us this tour of the hall of faith, helps us really zero in on this word faith, what it means. He gives shape to it so it's not so vague and ambiguous and empty. Uh, he gives us some idea of what faith actually is. And we're going to see uh, there's three verses, there's three components that he refers to of faith, three characteristics of faith that we can see even in this short text that were important for them, that are important for us, because faith is the same today uh, as it was then by, by the nature of it and what it's composed of. And so I want to walk through these verses and, and show you those three things that I think are three Three characteristics of faith, and I would just summarize the message this way, that, that we can't live by faith without knowing what faith is, right? If, if that's a marker of God's people, that we live by faith, it's important that we know what in the world faith actually is. So component number one that I think you can see in these first three verses of Hebrews 11 is that faith involves perceiving the unseen, 
Or you may, uh, these are going to rhyme with see, perceiving, receiving, believing. You could also say just seeing the unseen. That, that there's an ability when we have faith to be able to see what's unseen, to perceive what might be invisible to the rest of the world. So if you look at verse 1, this author wastes no time. He starts by saying, now faith is, and then he's going to say two different things that faith is. He says, it's the assurance of things hoped for. We'll return to that in just a few minutes. But he also says faith is the conviction of things not seen. Uh, the conviction of things not seen. This first verse is not so much like a definition. This isn't a dictionary. Like, where you're, what is the definition precisely of faith? It's not a definition so much as it's a description. He's going to give some characteristics of what faith is like. It's not a tight technical definition, but he's going to show us what it is like, what characteristics it has. And so the first, the first one I want to focus on is the second one in that verse, that it is the conviction of things not seen, that it involves the conviction of things that we don't see in this world, but we no are true, no less. So I think what he's getting at here is that faith involves the ability to see what is unseen. It involves the ability to perceive the unseen or the invisible. If you want to think of it this way, several commentators I read talk about this, that if the eye, think of what the eye is to the physical body, right? It's what enables us to see what's physically in front of us. That's what our eye does and the, the optic nerve and all those things. That's what they allow us to do is to see the world, the physical world in front of us. What faith does is that it does what the eye does for the body, it does for the soul. It, it allows us to see things that that are unseen realities that are in the present, that are in the past, that are in the future, uh, things that are true, it allo faith allows us to see those things and have conviction that they are real, that they are there, that they will come to be. That is what faith does. It opens our eyes of our soul to see what is truly there. And I want to make this clear. Faith does not enable you to see imaginary things. It allows you to see and know real things, true things. Uh, a lot of times people talk about faith almost like it's just imagination. Like I, I just have faith that that thing is true. Like I just want, I like to believe that God is like such and such. Or I like to believe that this and this and this will happen. That is not biblical faith. Like that is imagination. What, what biblical faith is, it's giving you a conviction, a, a true awareness of what is real and true in the unseen realm. Not just what is make-believe and hopeful, wishful thinking. It, it's not like a belief in unicorns. Like, I want to believe in my heart. I have conviction in my heart that unicorns are real. Somewhere on this planet, there's a real unicorn. That is not faith. Faith is more like, I was thinking of some illustrations, faith is more like night vision goggles, right? Like, they, you put those things on, they allow you to see what is actually there, but that you wouldn't have been able to see otherwise, right? Or if you think of a telescope or a periscope, it allows you to see something on the horizon or in the sky that's really there that you otherwise wouldn't have been able to see. It's, it's like an x-ray machine. Uh, Pastor Tom works in radiology here at our local hospital. When they put that machine on people, uh, they see things that are really in their body that would otherwise be unseen, right? They're not just making up drawings of what they think is in your body. They see what's really there. Right? And faith allows us to see into the unseen, to see true things, to see real things that we otherwise would not be able to see or to know. We're going to see as we go through chapter 11 tons of examples of that. If you read ahead in these sermons, which I, I would encourage you to at least at times, you're going to see in chapter 11 this reference again and again to what people saw. 
like what they were able to see that was unseen to other people. Like Noah was able to see things yet unseen when God told him that the flood was going to come. Right? Abraham was willing to leave his homeland and go to a different city, go to a different homeland because he saw the eternal city. He saw the homeland of God that was beyond this world. Uh, you see Moses, he's going to talk about Moses being willing to confront Pharaoh, the most powerful king in the world, because the author is going to say in verse 27, because Moses sees him who is invisible, right? Like that he saw beyond Pharaoh, beyond the kings of this world, he saw that there is a God who superintends all of this and who is for me and with me. You're going to see again and again, this person saw this. This person was able to see this. This person was able to see this. And this gift of faith is something where God allows us to see the unseen, where he allows us access to know things we would otherwise not know. And typically when we think of faith, we often think of it as a forward-looking thing, which it is. Like we're, we're able to see into the future. We're, able, we're told by God things that will take place in the future. But in this text, if you look even at verse 3, you're actually going to see that faith is more than just future-oriented ability to see. It also involves the ability to see things in the past and understand things from the past that were otherwise unseen to us as human beings. So if you look at verse 3, uh, note this. Because this phrase, by faith, that verse 3 starts with, is going to appear again and again and again and again in this chapter. By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did this. By faith, this person did that. The first time it appears here, verse 3, he says, by faith, we, like talking about him and the readers, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so he's using this whole idea, the ability to see things unseen, right? That's what faith is. But it's not just a forward-looking faith into the future, a present-looking faith into the realities of the unseen world, but it's even a faith looking backward in time. And he says, by faith we understand Rewind time, that the universe was created by the word of God. Uh, No one was there to document that, right? Like no one was there to see that and have a camera out and their journal pad ready to record exactly how things happened when God created the world. It is only by the eye of faith that we can understand how this whole universe exists, right? There is no time machine you can get into. There's no spaceship you can get into. There is no experiment you can conduct that will show you how the world was created, right? That you cannot do that. You cannot be shown that with your eye, with the the intellect alone. We have to be told that by God, by the creator of the universe. He was the one that was there, and he is the one that can tell us what took place, Right? And he says, he has recorded for us through several scriptures that he is the one who created. And that the way he created wasn't by, this text tells us, by like rearranging the things that were already there. Kind of like I'm going to rearrange the furniture of this place and make it real nice for these human beings. But that he spoke and things came to be. He created the visible out of invisible things. That, that is, it's confounding to us, it's mysterious to us, but that is how God created this world. And the only way we can know that, the only way we can have a conviction of the truth of that is by faith, taking God's word that it is true. Uh, that we were created, that this universe was created by him. 
I, I couldn't help but as, as I was reading verse 3, thinking of uh, this questioning that God does of a man named Job in the book of Job. Uh, I don't need to give you all the context of that story, but in Job 38, verses 4 through 7, after Job has been asking God all these questions about why he's allowed certain things and questioning justice or kindness of God, things like that, God lovingly but firmly comes and has a conversation with Job. And one of the things that he says to him is this, and this is good for us in today's world where we think we can understand everything, where we think we can just figure out everything in this world and how everything works. God said to Job, he said, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. You can sense kind of the sarcasm there. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? It's like he's reminding Job poetically but pointedly, you weren't there. I was there. I created everything. You owe your very existence to me, God is telling him. I was the one who spun this into existence, who spoke this into existence. And every person, ancient people, modern people, anyone who will exist into the future, the only way we can understand our origin story as human beings is by taking God's word for it. There is no way around that. Inevitably, we make assumptions, we take things on faith that God tells us to be true, that he spoke this world into existence. So as we think about faith involving this perceiving of the unseen, I think one just practical thing or an application would be uh, that we need to remember that for us to know things about the unseen, to know things about realities past, present, future that are unseen to us, we have to be shown those things. We have to be told those things by God. And that should create a certain humility within us that we don't find a pathway somehow to see the invisible realms and to know the future and to know the past just by studying hard and inquiring hard enough. Like we cannot know those things just on our own effort and by our own attempts. We have to be told those things by God. We have to be shown those things, have those things revealed to us. God is the one, if we want to use those metaphors of a periscope or night vision goggles, God is the one who created those and gives those to us. Like we don't just conjure those up and figure out a way to see the unseen. He helps us see what is otherwise unseen to us. He's the one that gives us that ability to know. We aren't just explorers like on a quest for truth just on our own to figure out the world and figure out the universe. We are more hearers who listen to our creator, who listen to the one who's writing this story and how he has written it, how he's continuing to write it. That is more of how we are. And we use the tools he gives us Namely, exclusively this, this is how we see, this is where we know and are able to see into the unseen realms, is that God has spoken them to us. He has told them to us about the past, about the realities in the present, and about future realities. This is our tool, this is our periscope, this is our night vision goggles to be able to see the unseen, to know what is there, to know what is ultimately true. And faith is something that is given to us. We are shown these things. We are told these things by God. Faith is not contrary to reason, but it is far. it reaches far beyond reason, right? Reason has limits of what it can teach us, what it can show us. It can't show us the unseen, but God can, and he does. And he, so faith involves being able to perceive the unseen, right? But faith is more, this text would tell us, faith is more than just perceiving the invisible. It's more than just having this ability to see the unseen. It also involves 
what I would call believing the promises of God, trusting in the promises of God. That's what you see as the second characteristics, uh, second characteristic of faith uh, that we see here in verses one through three. Charles Spurgeon uh, talked about the how we have. You can think of faith almost like an eye of faith that we see things, but he said faith also can be thought of and should be thought of as a hand of faith, also like that we see things, we're told things, we're shown things about past, present, and future, but we are called by faith to take hold of those things as well to not just know they're true assent to the reality that they're true but to say i believe these things i stake my life i stake my eternity on these things faith involves grabbing on to those promises grabbing on to what he has shown us and so if we go back to that very first phrase in verse one this is where i think you can see that he says faith is the assurance of things hoped for the assurance of things hoped for So God throughout time, as he created human beings and then slowly interacted with them, slowly taught us things, God slowly over time started unfolding these grand promises and teaching these grand truths about human beings and about sin and about his judgment, but about how also he was going to do something to rectify the problem, how he was going to provide rescue. He started unfolding these promises Back in the very Garden of Eden, no less, he told Adam and Eve that he was going to send this descendant from them who would step on the head of this serpent uh, and destroy that great enemy of ours. And then he started giving these promises over time. He, I could list probably hundreds of them, but just a few. Like he told Noah in his day that he was going to give him, deli- him and his family deliverance through the great flood. And he did. Right? He told Abraham that he was going to make him into a great nation and that through that nation there was going to be this descendant where, blessed, where through that descendant God would bless all the nations of the earth through him. Right? Later on he tells David, this great king of the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, he tells him for all the people to hear, someday I'm going to send a king whose reign will never end. Like whose dominion will never end. He, he promised through the prophets that someday he would provide the forgiveness of sin, that he would give the gift of his Holy Spirit to his people to dwell within them. He gave promises of the resurrection of, of the dead. He, he started unfolding these promises, and what happened is that hope started to grow in people. Right? They, they had confidence that this world as it is isn't all that it's going to be. God had started to open up the, the, their eyes of faith to see what the future would entail, to see how he was going to provide a savior, and hope started to grow in them. They started to have these longings in their heart for God to actually do these things, for him to come good on his word. And I, I love that, he, that what he talks about here in Hebrews 11.1 1, is that faith isn't just an awareness of the future. It's not, not just a, a, a belief that these things will take place. It's not even just a longing or a hope for the future. He says it is the assurance of things hoped for. That there, there, there's a confidence that these things will be true, not just generally speaking, but these things will be true of me. These things will be true in my life. I have assurance of those things that are hoped for. I, I can take it to the bank. Uh, that it is assurance of things hoped for because they believed that God would do what he said. 
That's what faith is. It's a belief that God will ultimately do what he has promised to do. He will bring the realities he's shown us to be. Those things will come to pass. It's the assurance of things that are hoped for. And you can tell, as we're going to go through this hall of faith the next several weeks, you can tell that these people had more than just a knowledge that certain things would happen. They had a conviction and assurance in their bones that these things were going to be, that the things God had shown them about the future were going to come to pass. And you can know it, you can tell it because of how they lived their life. That's what he's going to draw attention to again and again is by faith they did this. By faith they risked that. By faith they did this thing that would make the earth scratch their heads. By faith they did all these things. They lived by faith, right? They actually had confidence, assurance that these things will come to pass. They had assurance of things hoped for. If someone, if you want to use that periscope analogy, if someone was hopelessly adrift at sea, and this isn't a perfect metaphor, but if someone's hopefully adrift at sea and somehow they're given a periscope to look out on the horizon and they're able to see something far off in the distance that there's an island where it looks like maybe there's people, that, that person then has a choice, right, about do I really believe that is there? And am I going to start paddling in that direction or am I just going to sit here and wait for somebody to come? Or I'm just going to be skeptical of what I see in that periscope eye? Or am I going to actually stake my life and start swimming that way, start rowing that way? Faith believes that it is there because it has seen it and it starts operating in light of that. It's, I am assured that that is there and I'm going to start taking risks. I'm going to start doing things to head that direction. When we look through chapter 11, we're going to see some extraordinary acts of faith that was based on an assurance of God's promises. We're going to recount a lot of familiar Old Testament stories to us that, that by faith Noah built an ark, right? People thought he was nuts, I am sure. But he was assured of what God said would be, that the storm would come and that God would spare him and all who were in that boat, right? By faith, people, Abraham left his homeland because he knew there was a greater homeland to come. By faith, he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because God had told him and he had confidence that God could raise him up from the dead. We're going to see that by faith, Moses confronted King Pharaoh because he saw the one that was unseen, right? By faith, Rahab hid spies in Jericho when they came to scout out the land. By faith, the people, the army then went and walked around the city of Jericho multiple times and yelled at walls because they believed that they would fall down. Like people would have looked at these people like fools, like that they are dumb, that they have no idea what is going on, that they're oblivious to what is real, but God had shown them what is real. God had shown them what would come to pass, and they had assurance that it was true, and they were willing to walk in light of it. They didn't just see or hear the promises of God. They laid hold of them. They grabbed onto them. They believed these things are true, and I'm going to live my life in light of these things, come what may. No matter what people think of me, I believe what God has said. I have seen it. He has shown it to me in his word that he has spoken to me. I am going to stake my life on it. And if these people that are in the hall of faith, these Old Testament saints, if they had faith in the promises of God, 
Think of what we should have. We have been given way more clarity, way more expansive uh, truths to know and to hang on to than they had. They had little glimpses of it in their periscopes. We live on the other side of God the Son coming and becoming a human being and demonstrating for eyes to, physical eyes to see, demonstrating his love for us and his willingness to lay down his life for us on the cross, his willingness to take our sin upon himself and be crushed for it, so that we might be, have those sins removed from our record. And God raised him up from the dead and he talked to people and ate with people and appeared to hundreds of people to show us what happened to me can happen to you, that you can be raised from the dead and be joined with me as a forgiven person of God because of what I've done for you. That is way more to go on than what Moses had and then what Abraham had and what Sarah had and all these people that are gonna get mentioned in here. We have way more to go off of, to to base our faith on. We have, we have far more clarity. And God has made even grander promises to us. He has said to us just one simple promise that may be familiar to many of you. He has said in Romans chapter 10, he said to any person, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that unseen, like you believe these things and you confess these things, he says, you will be saved. That is a promise with detail and with attention that we can take that to the eternal spiritual bank. We can take that promise to God himself and say, you have promised this, I believe it. Like I believe that Jesus came and that he suffered for me, that, he, that you punished him in my place and that you raised him up to show that you approved. Like, please forgive me. I, I confess I'm a sinner. Please save me. He says, I will. Like, I, I promise that I will. I will forgive you. I will grant you eternal life. That is a greater, more clear promise even than any of these Old Testament saints had. And that's been given to us. And we cannot just let it be something we see, something we hear about and it just kind of stays out there. What faith does is it lays hold of that and says, I believe Romans 10, 9 for me. Not just for people in general, but I believe it for me. I am laying hold of that promise. I am confessing Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I'm confident God will forgive me, that God will raise me up. It's a faith is a take, not just seeing something, but taking hold of it, like laying hold to the promises of God. And my prayer has been, as it is every Sunday, that today would be a day that some of you in this room, that you have seen those promises of God, you've heard them, you've known the realities of the spiritual world now and to come forever, but it has remained just facts to you. My prayer today is that you would actually start to have assurance personally of things hoped for because you lay hold of those promises. You say, God, forgive me. Like, I know you're the Savior, but may you be my Savior, be my Lord who, who rules in my life, who raises me up from the dead. Today, lay hold of the promises of God. And to my believing friends in the room who you long ago, you laid hold of those promises of God, I want you to hear that he says faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I think we sometimes painfully lack assurance in our lives. We, we, think, uh, we think of faith as just like, uh, if I had to be a betting man, I'd guess it's probably more true than not that Jesus is raised from the dead, and so I'm going to put my eggs in that basket, and I just hope it all works out. That's sometimes how we think of faith. It's just more likely than not, or we, we get nervous of God's favor, God's standing for us, uh, his evaluation of us, but faith doesn't just say, 
I believe this story is factually true, but it rests its very uh, hope upon the truth of that story. It, it says, I believe this. I bank on this. I believe it is true for me. I believe it is true for us. And Christians, we ought to be growing steadily over the years in our assurance again and again that this is true. It's not wishful thinking and unicorns and fairies and things like that. This is confidence that God has shown us that he sent his son. God has shown us in the cross. He has shown us in the resurrection. He has shown us in the ascension of Jesus who his son is and his willingness to forgive us. And we say, I believe that is true for me. God, forgive me. I have confidence you are my savior. Faith lays hold of it with full assurance. And the final thing I want to show you, and it's right in the middle verse, verse two, this third facet of faith, if we're learning about faith and what it is, uh, as this author gives us his pre-Hall of Faith uh, tour speech, is, is what he tells us that we receive by faith, uh, what we receive by faith. He's, he talked about how we perceive the unseen by faith, that we believe the promises of God by faith, but the glorious third truth is that by faith we receive the commendation of God. By faith, we receive the commendation of God. Someone can have strong faith or trust in something that is misplaced, right? Like they could have, like they could feel certain in the depths of their soul that such and such is true, that such and such will come to pass. I just know it. I feel it. I, I, I think God has shown these things, but faith can be misplaced. Like it can be put into a person. It can be put into a, a hope that is misguided. People have very strong faith, frankly, in things that are crazy, things that are silly, but they believe it like they're, they're a person of faith and confidence that this thing is true. What I want to show you in verse 2 is ultimately what matters is not the strength of your faith and confidence that something will come to be. What matters most ultimately eternally is what God thinks of you, like what God, how God sees you. Not what you think will be true, not what you suspect will be true, but how does God see you? Like, what is his estimation of you? How does he see you? And verse 2 has an important uh, message for us to hear. He says in verse 2, By it, meaning by faith, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, the people of old received their commendation. Right? Implied in that verse is that the commendation of God is being talked about. That, that God commends these people. God sees them and he gives their, his favor to them. A, a stamp of approval, so to speak, to them. That, that God gives certain people his commendation. And this author is saying the way even Old Testament saints received their commendation from God was by faith. By trust in what was revealed to them the unseen, prom the unseen realities and a, a belief in the promises that God said would be true of how he would relate to his people. They placed their faith in those promises and the God who gave them. And this author says, by that faith, they received their commendation from God. Right? By faith. And he's going to repeat this. If you want to think of chapter 11 as kind of a tour through the hall of faith, you go down to verse 39. He's going to, at the very end of the tour, like when we're about to walk out of the hall of faith, he's going to remind us again that all these people I've just talked about, though commended through their faith, 
did not receive what was promised. This was important to him. He wanted these people to see that God's people have always, will always be commended, receive their commendation from God on the basis of their faith, that their trust, their trust in the promises of God, their belief in the promises of God. And remember who is being talked to here, right? These were Jewish people who were tempted to go back to Old Testament practices, and they would have been tempted to think, just like I did growing up, that all these Old Testament saints, the way they received their commendation from God was by keeping God's law. That by keeping it well enough, by, by, doing, by making these sacrifices, by making these pilgrimages, by eating the right things, by not relating to Gentiles in certain ways, by doing these things, that is how they are receiving their commendation. That is how God is giving his approval to them, is by their obedience, by their towing the line and following the, the, the stipulations of the old covenant that he gave at Mount Sinai. That is how they would have been tempted to think God gives out his commendation, is by obedience. You obeyed? I commend you for that. Oh, you did this for me? I commend you for that. Oh, you did that for me? I commend you for that. I approve of you. Welcome in. But that is not, throughout time, how God commends anyone. God does not give commendations out based on our obedience to him and our score on a test or what our report card is at the end of our life. God does not give commendations out that way. This text was revolutionary for me as a young adult because for some reason, nobody ever taught me this, but I thought that same way about Old Testament saints. I thought pre-Jesus, God gave out commendations like on a grading scale. And he, if they did well, that he would bless them and approve of them and welcome into his kingdom if they had disobeyed the, the covenant they were just out but this text and every example he's going to give after this is showing it is by faith God commends it is the people who believe the promises of God that God commends faith is the key it is the pathway to receiving the commendation of God and if that was true in the days of this uh, letter being written it is true today that, that God's commendation if it is going to come to any person including you if God is going to commend any person, it is on the basis of faith in the promises of God. A belief that God will do what he has said he will do. That he will forgive those who come to him in repentance and faith. That he will raise us up from the dead. That he will give us his Holy Spirit. That he will do these things for us if we come to him in faith in his son Jesus. Not on our own merits, not on our own credentials, but if we come to him in faith and repentance. I want us, myself included, whether we've been a Christian for a long time or we're just coming to faith in Jesus, I want, based on this text, for us to rid ourselves of any notion that we can earn God's commendation. Any hint of that, whiff of that, that I can gain God's approval by my behavior, that I can secure it or keep it by my obedience. You cannot gain the commendation of God by anything other than the shed blood of Christ and the life of obedience that Christ lived for you. There is no other way for you to receive commendation. You aren't commended by God because of your behavior, because of your lifestyle, because of your voting record, because of your church attendance, because of your giving statement, because of any of these things. You are not commended by God because of those things. If you are commended by God, it's because you have been united with his son, Jesus, who died for you and has been raised for you. And God sees you through him. Like he sees the record of Christ and he commends you because you're united with him. Author Jerry Bridges talked about faith as involving both a renouncing of something and a relying on something else. 
that there's a renunciation and there's a reliance. There's, faith involves a renouncing of this idea that I can gain or keep God's commendation, that I can earn it, that I can uh, merit it just by my obedience. I have to renounce that when I become a Christian, I have to keep renouncing that, 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 that weed that creeps back up in my heart again and again. I've got to yank it out that thinks I can gain God's commendation, rip it out. God's commendation only comes by the shed blood of Christ and by the resurrection of Christ. So I renounce that self-reliance, that idea that I can gain God's commendation. But I rely on the merits of Jesus, that I rely on his sacrifice. I rely on his worth, his uh, perfection. That is what I rest my soul upon. That's what faith does. It renounces this idea of gaining God's commendation on my own. And it relies on the merits and the sacrifice of Jesus to gain God's commendation. So we must perceive unseen realities as what faith gives to us we must believe the promises of God and lastly in doing that as we exercise faith we receive the commendation of God so our author has given us his short little introduction here uh, before we step into this faith hall of fame he's helped us to know a bit of what faith is like and it's like next week he's going to kind of swing the doors open for us and start showing us around start showing us these men and women who've come before them and before us these examples of faith and like any good hall of fame i'll just forewarn you we're going to walk through it slowly uh you don't rush through halls of fame uh you i don't think you should at least you linger in the hall of fame you revel in the accomplishments you revel in what these people did you marvel at those things so we'll take a while to go through it but this Hall of Fame is not going to be intended so much to impress us with those people, although we may be tempted to that thing. Wow. Like, what faith? Uh, this Hall of Faith, Hall of Fame, is not intended so much to impress us with them as it is to impress us with their God and with our God, the one who has shown them these things and given them faith to believe these things, given them a willingness to risk their lives and sacrifice their fortunes, uh, sacrifice their own families at times for these things that God has promised. This author wanted them and he would want us to be impressed with their God, not to be swept up with how impressive they are, but to be impressed with their God. And I think he would be intending to motivate us to join them in their faith in that God. To say, man, this God that, that led Abraham, this God that encouraged Moses in the face of Pharaoh, this God that motivated the Israelites to, to take down Jericho, this God that motivated Noah to build an ark when everybody thought he was crazy, this God who motivated people to do all these things is the same God who created me, is the same God who has made even grander promises to me. And I, if they trusted him, I can trust him as well. I can persevere in trusting him just as they did by God's grace. Faith is not just some synonym for religiosity, right? Or for spirituality or optimism. Faith involves perceiving the unseen, believing the promises of God, and receiving the commendation of God. May we be marked by the same faith that these Old Testament saints were.